Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Dr. Justin Hillhouse leads us again today as we continue our series, Staying True. If you have your copy of God's Word, be sure to open it up to Daniel chapter 5. As we read through the chapter, we'll notice three very distinct warnings. Now, let's hear from Dr. Hillhouse. But if you have your copy of God's Word, open it up, turn it on. We are in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. And if you're joining us for the first time, we've been kind of making our way through the book of Daniel, just kind of going through the first six chapters. And we're going to close out the book of Daniel next week in Daniel chapter 6. So today we're going to focus in Daniel chapter 5. And if you were with us from the very beginning, but it doesn't matter if you're joining us for the first time uh, this morning. Thanks for being here. Um, We want to encourage you, hey, going through the book of Daniel, when you open it up in the first chapter, you see that Daniel and his buddies, they are taken away and uh, taken from Jerusalem as noble children, taken away and then put into the service of the king. They are trained by the king and then they are put into his service. And then as you move on to Daniel chapter 2, you see that Daniel and his friends come together and they pray together because their lives are threatened because The king has this horrible dream, this dream that really unsettles him. And it unsettles him to the point where he looks at all of his guys and he says, Hey, listen, all you guys that claim to be wise, all you guys that claim to know all these great gods, I want you to go to these guys. I want you to find out what my dream was and then explain it to me. And nobody could do it. And Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all got together and they all prayed. And God showed up in that situation told Daniel the dream and then Daniel went and basically saved everybody's life, all the nobles and and king's men's lives. Well, as you move forward into Daniel chapter 3, you begin to kind of see a separation where now there's just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as we read the rest of Daniel, the focus is more on Daniel himself. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week, as we talked about, they literally walked through the fire. They defied the king and the king builds this image and they defy the king and they say, hey, listen, king, we are not going to bow down. Everyone else across the whole kingdom bows down before this image. And yet Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they stand strong. And the king comes to him and says, basically, hey, listen, why won't you bow? And they said, hey, listen, king, we're just not going to do it. Let our actions defend themselves. And so then as you move forward into Daniel chapter 4, the king has another bad dream. And it is a prediction that if he does not repent, he is going to uh, basically turn wild. And he's going to go out into the fields and he's going to act like an animal. And of course, King Nebuchadnezzar, he does not repent. And so God puts judgment on him and he, he goes crazy for a while. And then finally he comes back and he repents. And that's where it leads us now into Daniel chapter 5. And as we read Daniel chapter 5, we're introduced to a lot of new folks. Because at the beginning of Daniel 5, we see a new king on the throne of Babylon. And then at the end of Daniel 5, there is another new king that is on the throne 
in Daniel. And so when you read Daniel chapter 5, there are, there's a lot of stuff in that chapter. But really, there are three warnings that we see in Daniel chapter 5. And I just kind of want to read through the chapter. And as we read through it, I just kind of want to point out these three warnings that we see. So if you have your copy of God's Word, open it up, turn it on. We're in Daniel chapter 5. We're going to start here just very simply in verse 1. It says this, Now, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Now, I want to go through just a little bit of history because this history is important to this story. Okay, First of all, King Belshazzar, he is the son, or we think more likely the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar is related to King Nebuchadnezzar. We think he is his son or more likely his grandson. And he is known as the last king of Babylon. And this is important because the Babylonian records, they record that he is the last king before the Persians come in and conquer the kingdom. Now, according to the Babylonian records, Belshazzar was actually a co-regent with another dude by the name of King Nabonus. Okay? And so for 23 years, Belshazzar and this other dude named Nabonis, they kind of co-reigned Babylon. And Nabonis kind of took over in, 50, uh, in 553 BC. And then the Persians came in and conquered Babylon in 539 BC. Now, it is likely that at the time of Daniel chapter 5, what had happened was is that uh, Nabonis, the Persians are starting to invade the, the country of Babylon. They're starting to move towards the city of Babylon. And here's the deal is that this is a jewel of a city. This city has been set up. It is rich. It is wealthy. And so they know if we want to take the whole country of Babylonia, we have to take the capital city, Babylon itself. And so what happens is, is as the Persians are invading, Nabonis, he goes out to fight them. And when he goes out to fight them, he loses. And so this is how Belshazzar becomes the official king. No longer... Is he a co-regent? No longer does he co-reign, but rather he becomes the man. But he is the shortest reigning king in all of Babylon. For we find out that he only reigns for two years. Now, Belshazzar has no fear of the Persians coming in. Because first of all, Nabonis, he's been captured by him. But the reality is, is that Belshazzar, he doesn't really care. First of all, his name, just his very name, means this, Beal preserved the king. And if you remember who Beal was, Beal was kind of the main god of Babylon. That was kind of the main god that all the Babylonians turned to. So his very name 
simply means, hey, listen, the God that we serve, the God that I serve is going to preserve me as the king. And in addition to all that, not only was Belshazzar, uh, Belshazzar's name important uh, to him, but also he was very pro-Babylonian. And he loved only his kind. And so when it came to all these other regions that his father, grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar has conquered, he doesn't care about them. So when it comes to the Jewish people, it's actually recorded in the Talmud by the Jewish historians that, hey, listen, the Jews are not being taken care of. And that Belshazzar, he pretty much hates anyone that's not Babylonian. He hates anyone that's not Mesopotamian. He hates anybody that is not from his region. And so it's actually recorded in Jewish history that the Jews were hated, that they were despised, that they were looked down upon. He thought he was it. So we got his name. We got uh, how much he loves just himself and his history and where he comes from. But not only that, we see that Belshazzar, he's trusted in what uh, Scripture would say, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's written in Psalms. Guess what? Belshazzar, he trusts in his horses and he trusts in his chariots. Because what we need to understand is, is that as the Persians are moving in, and as they are beginning to besiege the city of Babylon, Belshazzar ain't worried. Because you see, when Belshazzar has this party, just in verse 1, as you see, Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Understand this, is that while this party is going on, the Persians have been besieging the city of Babylon. And Belshazzar is throwing a party and he doesn't care. And here's why he doesn't care. First of all, and these are conservative calculations, but the ancient city of Babylon had an outer wall that went 17 miles long. A 17 mile outer wall. Now get this, that wall at its thinnest point was 22 feet wide and 90 feet high. Now let me kind of give you some a point of reference. The, or the wall of China, have y'all heard of that wall? Okay, that's a pretty big wall. As a matter of fact, it's so big you can see it from outer space, okay? That wall at its thickest point is anywhere between 13 and 16 feet wide. And at its thickest point, it's 22 feet wide down at the base. So even when you look and compare the wall of China to the Babylonian wall, at its thickest point of the China wall is the thinnest point of the Babylonian wall. Not only that, but the highest this, uh, the wall of China gets is 25 feet high. That's at its very top point. But here for the Babylonian, it's, it's 22 feet no matter what, all the way across. And so we have this massive wall, and that's the outer wall. 
And then you go inside and you have another set of walls. Not only that, you have all these moats. There's plenty of, of obstacles just to get to the second wall, the inner wall inside of the city. Not only that, but the guard towers are 100 feet high on top of the 90 foot highness of the original wall. So if you have your guard tower, it's all the way up 190 feet. That's 19 stories, gentlemen. These things are huge. And so for any army to walk in and to show up and they stand there, first of all, they see all these walls, okay, 17 miles long, a minimum, okay, of about 90 feet high. They are 22 feet wide at its thinnest point. And then they're standing there and they're looking at the gate and the gate is not made of wood, but the gate is made of bronze. You're not getting in the city. It is near impossible to get into the city of Babylon. And so when Belshazzar throws this party, we see that he has a history, he has a lineage of being noble. He is raised in the royal family. His very name simply means Beal preserved the king. And he's looking at this Persian army that is besieging him and he sees his walls and he says, no problem. And he says no problem in such a way that he says, hey, listen, we've been besieged for about a year, maybe even we think as long as 18 months. He doesn't care because there's a river running through the city that is guarded and protected. He can produce his own food. It does no army can take out the city of Babylon. And so you know what he does? He throws a party. He throws a party. If you read there in verse 2, it says this, While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings, the nobles, and then look at this, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets and they that they had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Hey, this is kind of the first thought, first warning that we see from this passage. And that's, and that's this, is pride is delusional. Pride can cause us delusions. If you look there in verse 2, what does it say? While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets his grandfather and father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple there in Jerusalem. No doubt Belshazzar thinks he's okay. He's going to throw a big party in the midst of a siege that's going on outside his walls. And not only does he throw a party, but he brings in a thousand dudes. He brings in a thousand people to this party. And these are all the noblemen. This is kind of the hierarchy, the echelon, the who's who of Babylon. These are the nobles. These are guys from the royal family. These are advisors. These are magicians. These are all of his favorite people. And they're all right there. And they're having a party. And they're all in one room together. 
while there's a siege going on. Now, I don't know about you, but last time I checked, when I was besieged, (laughs) I didn't throw a party. I was on the wall. I was looking. I was trying to figure out what are they going to try to do to get in my city. But instead, Belshazzar, what does he do? Hey, man, let's throw a party. Not only that, let's not only throw a party. But I tell you what, let's go bring in the holy things from those Jews. Remember those Jews? Remember how we went, went in and we just totally destroyed Jerusalem? And we took all that great silverware and all that great Tupperware, all that stuff, all those utensils from the temple. Man, that was some good stuff. Let's take that. Let's use that to drink out of that. Not that his chalices were just not good enough. He said, hey, listen, let's take that stuff that we captured from those Jews and from that God, from their temple, and let's drink out of those things. Let's take those things and let's use those things. Here it is in every aspect of Belshazzar's life, from life to work, to home, to religion. There was nothing that he worried about and there was nothing that he cared about. He didn't care. He didn't worry. He's being besieged right now by the Persian army. I got walls. Hey, listen, they could cut us off and we could be without food. Not a problem. My walls are 17 miles long. Guess what? I have fields that I can garden No problem. We have plenty of food. Hey, listen, this is going to be expensive and going to cost a lot of money. It doesn't matter. I have coffers full of gold. No worries. Hey, listen, shouldn't we be worried about all this stuff that's going on around us? Nah, tell you what, I think I'll have another wife. I think I'll go pull in another concubine. I think I'm going to go party. Every aspect of Belshazzar's life, he doesn't care. He is not worried about. Because he puts his trust, he puts his faith in all of his stuff, in all of his things, and in all of his people. His respect for anything is lacking. And it is it is his pride that is taking over. If you look in Proverbs 16, 5, it says this, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Luke chapter 18, verse 14, Jesus is talking about guys praying. And they're observing people that are going into the temple and praying. And what does Jesus say? He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, he went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, uh, uh, it's going to happen now. He just says, hey, listen, they will be humbled. There will be a time when humility will come in. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but guess what? Those who are proud, they will be humbled. It is coming. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. Wow. There is a day for the proud and lofty, and it is coming. G.K. Chesterton said this, and I quote, A vulgar man 
is always the most distinguished. For the very desire to be distinguished is vulgar. For the very desire to be distinguished is vulgar. And so we have Belshazzar and all of his pride. He has become delusional. He's become so delusional that, get this, he throws a party. Not only does he throw a party, he throws a big party. Not only does he throw a big party, but he says, you know what? Let's bring in the gold utensils that were used in the temple back over there in Jerusalem. Let's use the Jewish God stuff. And not only that, let's party and let's let my wives and let's let my concubines drink out of it. Not only that, but let's also sing praises and worship our gods, the gods of bronze and gold and silver and wood and iron. So let's keep on reading in verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. And the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners. And then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have gold chain and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in all the kingdom. Then the king's wise men came in and they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar came Uh, became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that. Of the gods, your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him as chief of all the magicians and the enchanters and the astrologers. And so guess what? There in verse 4, 14 through 15, what happens? He says, hey, listen, let's bring this guy in. Let's bring this guy in. He's, He's partying. He's having a good time. All of his nobles are hanging out. Everybody's just having a great time. Drinking wine, hanging out. You got food, fun, women, man. It's a dude's paradise. And guess what? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this hand appears and begins to write there on the wall. And of course, I don't know about you, but anytime a hand out of nowhere appears and it is not attached to a human being and it begins to walk right on the wall, I don't know about you, but that kind of freaks me out. Are you all with me on that? I mean, Scripture says it became fearful and his knees were knocking. That could be an understatement, right? Because I'm sure the whole party shut down when that happened. And everybody went, what? And everybody turned and looked at each other and went, oh my goodness. What in the world just happened? And what is that writing? I have no clue what it means. What does Belshazzar do? Hey, let's bring in all my wise guys. And guess what? They show up. They don't know what's going on. And finally, his wife walks in because probably you hear the party going on. 
She can probably hear all the festivities, all the craziness going on. And then all of a sudden it shuts down. I'm sure she walked in and she was kind of curious. Why is everybody quiet? Wouldn't you think? That's probably why she walked in. She, she was here in the party and then all of a sudden she it got dead silent. She's like, I wonder what's going on. She shows up and everybody's worried and Belshazzar's going, what in the world do we do? What does this mean? And finally she says, hey, listen, there's this one guy that your father, Nebuchadnezzar, he trusted in. Maybe you ought to consult him. And so then look at verse 16. He calls Daniel in to explain it. And then in verse 16, what happens? It says, now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read the writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed with purple and have a gold chain around your neck and you'll be made third highest ruler in all the kingdom. So Daniel's standing there before the king. The king says, hey, listen, if you can read this, you will be richly rewarded. You will be the third highest guy in all of the kingdom. And look at what Daniel says. And this is great. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and I will tell him what it means. I'm just taking a wild stab here, but Daniel probably walked in and looked at the writing on the wall and said, Uh-oh. <laughs> he probably already knew. Just at a glance, he looked at it and he probably already knew what he was going to have to say. He already was able to interpret what was written on the wall. In addition, when you look at this instance, whether it's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, when they walk into a room, and when the king summons them, whether it's King Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's uh, King Belshazzar, whether it's the next king we read about in Daniel chapter 6, when they walk into a room, there is either a reward or a punishment involved for them. If you go back and you kind of look through the history in the book of Daniel, every time they're summoned, every time they're brought in, there's either a reward or a punishment. And it is one or the other. <coughs> And here's what I kind of want to point out here, guys, is that it doesn't matter the reward and it doesn't matter the punishment. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego only live for God. They don't live for themselves. And this is kind of important just to kind of throw out there is that everything that they do, whether they are going to be rewarded or whether they are going to be punished, does not matter to them. Rather, they are more focused on honoring God. God. So in everything that they do, the consequences or the impact doesn't matter to them. They just want to simply honor God. Now, guys, can you imagine in our lives if we went to work and we just said every day, it doesn't matter the outcome. It doesn't matter what my boss says. It doesn't matter what my employees say. It doesn't matter what my client says. Everything that I do, I'm just going to simply honor God. How is that going to change how you do business? How is that going to change in how you interact with people? It's going to completely revolutionize how you do business, how you interact with people, how you cut a deal, how you perform. It's going to change. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they haven't changed 
since day one. Everything that they do, everything that they say, they just simply want to honor God in it. And they say, you know what? Whatever happens after that doesn't really matter. I honored God today. Guys, what would happen if we did that? What does Daniel say? I don't care about your riches. I don't care about the purple robe. I don't care about the promotion. I'm just here to honor God. That's it. And if you reward me, great. I'm fine with that. If you punish me, if you kill me, I'm fine with that too. Doesn't matter. I'm honoring God right here, right now. And that's it. Starting there in verse 18, look at here what it says. He says this. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. And he lived in the wild. And he lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Though you knew all of this, you have not humbled yourself. Verse 23, instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven and had the goblets of his temple brought to you and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. And you praise the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Here's the second thing is strive to learn. Strive to learn. First warning is this. Pride is delusional. Second warning is this. Strive to learn. It's an encouragement, but it's also a warning. There are times in our lives where you go, you know what? I think I've learned enough. How many of you are like that? Huh? There might be a couple of you that be like, look, my brain is full. I can't pack any more in there. <laughs> I'm out. That's what my son says. He's like, dad, I got like one brain cell, dad. That's all I got. I'm like, I know. He's like, if I put something in there, something has to leave. I'm like, I know. I, it's okay. I get it. Uh, personal story. I, I remember when I was writing my dissertation, right? And so you're sitting there, you're writing, you're, you read all these books. I'll never forget. After I was done, I looked at Audrey and I said, babe, I'm never reading another book again. And I went for a good eight months. I didn't pick up a book. I was like, I'm done. I'm out. But then you just can't. You, you got to pick up a book. You got to keep on learning. And men, we have to strive to continue to learn. What does Daniel say to Belshazzar? You have not learned from your father. Didn't you see your father? And didn't you see what happened? Why have you not learned what happened to your father? Because guess what? He is referencing what has happened to your father. 
can happen to you. Here's the tough news. King Nebuchadnezzar lived for 35 years the way he wanted to live. In the 35th year of his reign, that is about when the children of Israel and Jerusalem was captured and Daniel and his friends were taken to Babylon. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he is one of the longest reigning kings in all of Babylon. He reigned for 45 years. If Daniel and his friends did not come into the king's service until around year 35 of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Daniel and his Jewish friends only had 10 years of influence on Nebuchadnezzar and his life and his kingship. They only had 10 years. Now here's the deal, is that if I grow up one way, and then all of a sudden there's a change with somebody in my family at the very end, there's not a whole lot of time of influence. Y'all with me on that? In other words, over time, King Nebuchadnezzar has slowly changed. And at the very end of his life, guess what? He finally turned to God. But for 45 years, for let's even say 43, 44 years, King Nebuchadnezzar lived how he wanted to live. And so guess what? He modeled for 45 years to his son, his grandson, Belshazzar, how a kingdom should be run and how a king should act. And what happened was is that Belshazzar thought this is how a king should act and this is what a king should do. And then it was at the very end where Nebuchadnezzar made a change. Well, what happens? Is that change enough to influence Belshazzar? We see right here, no, it wasn't. What did Belshazzar do? He just continued to live the same lifestyle that his father, his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar lived. He lived for himself. He lived for what he wanted to do, and he pursued anything and everything that he wanted. It was all about him. And Belshazzar did not become a student of life. There are four reasons why we should continue learning. Number one, it helps keep you relevant. Don't be left behind. Ensure that you remain relevant in every aspect of your life, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's at school, wherever it is. When we pursue learning, we are pursuing relevance. And I want to tell you this, the things of God are relevant to you today. The things in His Word are relevant to you today. I just want to give you a quick tip right here. If you want to be relevant in your office, if you want to live the way God wants you to live in your office, let me just offer you this. Every day in the morning, read a chapter in Psalms. Every day in the afternoon, read a chapter in Proverbs. And every evening, every day, Read a chapter in John. In the morning, read a chapter in Psalms. That will prepare your heart for the day. In the afternoon, right around lunchtime, either before or after lunch, read a chapter in Proverbs. That will give you wisdom. You will be able to reflect on the morning and look forward to the afternoon with wisdom. There might be some decisions that need to be made in the afternoon that you found out about that morning give you some time to have some wisdom. And then a chapter from the book of John every night so that when you are at home, you can have Jesus Christ on your mind when you're talking with your wife, when you're talking with your girlfriend, when you're talking with your kids, and when you go to bed, Jesus is on your mind.
a chapter of Psalms in the morning, a chapter of Proverbs in the afternoon, and a chapter of John in the evening. Do that for seven days and see what happens. See what happens to your mindset. See what happens to the relevancy of yourself and your job and your home and your family on the ball field. See what happens. See what God does in your heart and in your life. Number two, it prepares you for the unexpected. Lifelong learning will help you adapt to unexpected changes. Number three, it sparks new ideas. Acquiring new skills, acquiring new knowledge will unveil to you new opportunities and will help you become innovative when it comes to finding a solution. And fourth, it changes your perspective. There are some things that we look at and we ask ourselves, why? Don't you do that a lot? Why does, and then fill in the blank. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we begin to study in life, when we begin to study problems and situations, all of a sudden we begin to have a new perspective or we begin to see the perspective of others. Philippians 4, 9, whatever you have learned or received or have heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Psalm 143, 10, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your spirit lead me on level ground. Proverbs 18, 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the wise seek it out. John Wesley said this, the first priority of my life is to be holy. The second goal of my life is to be a scholar. My first priority in life is to be holy. My second priority is to be a, scho- is to be a scholar. Gentlemen, go to school on life. We should always be learning something. And if you're not, I want to encourage you. Today, find something to learn. If you don't know what, let me tell you what. The first thing to point you to is the Word of God. Start learning that first. Start going to work on that. Let's finish this chapter out. Verse 24. Therefore He sent the hand and wrote this inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Meany, meany, tekel, parson. And here's what those words mean. Meany, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And person, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar at then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple and chained in gold, and a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then look at verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylon of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Third and finally, real quick, guys, as we close out. Our days are numbered and our actions will always be weighed. Guys, what you do today matters. You got it? What you do today matters. No matter how mundane, what you do today matters. And it will be weighed. And for some of us today, this could be our last day on earth. If it is, make sure it counts. Make sure it counts. Because our actions, they will be weighed and they will be judged. Everything that you do, gentlemen, look at it and say, man, measure those actions. Measure what you say. Because they will be weighed. 
Psalm 39.4, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Gentlemen, <clears throat> there is a time when our actions will be judged. For us as Christians, it's just going to be the good stuff. We don't have to worry about the bad. But then there are others out there that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Guess what? They're going to be judged on the good and the bad, and the bad is definitely going to outweigh the good. There's no way that you can earn your way into heaven. But for us gentlemen here in this room, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, guess what? We will stand before the Bema seat and there will be a time of judgment and the things that we have done here that are good are going to be judged. Let me ask, are they worthy? Are they worthy? And can you look at God and say, God, everything that I did honored you. Everything, every decision that I have done, does it honor and did it honor you? I love Daniel. He gave the king bad news. Hey, guess what? Your kingdom is getting ready to be ripped from you. Completely bad news. And guess what happened? He got a promotion. How in the world does that happen, guys? I'm going to give you some really bad news. You're going to die. What you're doing is completely wrong. Everything that's happening right now is completely wrong. And God says it's bad. And what happens? The king said, ah, promotion for you. I mean, that's like walking into the king and going, you're a bonehead. And the king goes, promotion for you. <laughs> Explain that to me. I can't. And you can't. Here's the explanation. It's because Daniel honored God in his life and everything that he did. And he didn't care what anybody thought. He just said, today, I'm going to honor God. What I say is going to honor God. How I live is going to honor God. Guys, today, go beyond these walls and honor God. Honor God. Good, bad, reward, punishment, doesn't matter. I'm just going to honor God. And see what He does in your life. See how He works. And give Him all the praise and all the glory. Let's pray. God, we love You. We thank You for this day. <coughs> we thank You that we could open up Your Word and that we could learn from You. God, as we go forth from this day, Father, may we be men that live after your own heart. And God, may we be an example to those around us, whether it's at work, whether it's at, on, on the field of play, God, whether it's at home with our wives, God, and our kids. May we honor you in everything that we say, that we do. May we be measured. And may we think about you in everything that we do. And may our actions reflect what you want us to do and how you want us to act and what you want us to say. God, we love you. We thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Y'all have a great day. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.